0: Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Irina. And we're reviewing Rounders. Starring Matt Damon, Edward Norton, John Turturro, Famke Jensen, Gretchen Maul, John Malkovich, and Martin Landau. Directed by John Dahl, released in 1998 on a $12 million budget, grossed $22.9 million at the box office. This film cited by a lot of professional poker players for its accuracy in the games and for getting a lot of them interested into the game and for a lot of the lingo in it and such. And I, I just got to ask, uh, Irina, why are we talking about rounders tonight?
1: I don't know. Why are we talking about rounders tonight? I think you brought this up.
0: I actually just put out an open challenge, I guess you would call it.
1: You did put out an open challenge because I said, hey, since we are all bound to our houses, yay, corona, let's start reviewing some crap. And I've kind of been absent here and there because I kind of took some time off to do some theater and um, I needed to do something. I missed you
0: assholes. I know, right? And so we needed to do something. So I just picked random five movies that I knew were on Netflix at the time, and this was one of them, and... I, you know, I, you said, Hey, let's do rounders. I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't remember anything about that movie <laughs> at all. I've seen, I knew I'd saw it. I think I saw this in theaters when it came out. It was part of this Matt Damon trilogy, I call it, where he played like the lovable psychopath, Good uh, Goodwill hunting this and the talent of Mr. Ripley, which was Oh, yeah. He had ago.
1: that. And these actors tend to have these little spans where they're like, here, yeah. I'm going to do four movies in a row and then I'm going to fall off the planet.
0: Yeah, it, it was when they had. were trying to make him at, you know, and he already won his Academy Award and stuff. And I remembered Edward Norton was in it. Um, when people would still work with him, I had forgotten John Malkovich was in it and Martin oh, Landau. No. And then John I, Malkovich. then when I saw Gretchen Mall's name, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember when they tried to make her a thing. And I understand she's had quite a career and in, in, a lot in television and stuff. I've never seen her in anything else, but I do know her name for this. But yeah, I, uh, this one. Saw when it came out, like I said, probably with some buddies in college, never thought twice about it again, and hadn't hadn't thought about it until we brought it up, decided to do this, and then ended up watching <laughs> it twice for this review.
1: Well, you, you're one up on me, or maybe two up at this point, because I hadn't seen it before, uh, sat down and watched it right before we started to record, Um and, you know, we might be surprised by my reaction to it. We might not be. But I know I have a few things to say about it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely things to say about this movie. And I think it, it's a fun one to get into. There's a there's a pocket of movies from the 1990s that are just not the kind of movie that gets made, at least not for mass audiences to go in theaters anymore. These kind of adult PG-13 to R-rated dramas and they're kind of thrillers, but they're really there's not like a chase thrill to them or whatever. And, and Nick and I were about this on the recent episode of The Fugitive. This it's just not the kind of movie that gets made anymore. But now this kind of movie for Miramax was like their thing. You know, smaller budget, up and coming you know, stars that they wanted to mint from something. And then it would either take off or it wouldn't. And most of their films were well received critically. They made a little bit of money and then they found another life on home video.
1: Well, you know, a funny thing that you mentioned that is Brian and I just did an episode, you know, of Empire Records, which is we were both going back and forth about how movies like that aren't made anymore. I know you haven't seen it. It's fine. I won't hold it against you. You should. <laughs> but it's, it's the same type of it's it's that style of the 90s, which maybe we like because that's when we were teenagers or, you know, in our late teens or whatever. Um But we don't get that anymore. We're missing something in cinema. There's some wholesomeness we're missing. And then there's some of the adventure plot stuff that we're missing. And, you know, or even a thriller. You know, let's go back in time a little bit.
0: Well, I mean, I think a lot of these things are getting made. They're getting distributed in ways that are different. They're not going to theaters. They're going to Amazon. They're going to Hulu. They're going to Netflix. uh, They're going to Disney Plus now and Apple TV and all those kind of things. Or they're going to straight... You know, cable television, AMC does shows and HBO and all that kind of stuff. I think that's Don't where. Don't bring
1: Hallmark into this because they're not doing any of that. They're,
0: they are a whole different subgenre, <laughs> as is Lifetime, which people heard us try to convince Simon Brew what Lifetime movies were uh, that listened uh, to our most recent session show. But yeah, there's this is a kind of thing that gets made, but it doesn't get the kind of push. Now, when this movie came out, I mean, again, it, this was a big deal. I mean, you had Academy Award winner Matt Damon and you had Edward Norton, who everybody. Everybody still wanted to work with at the time and yeah, it's got again gretchen hat. maul who everybody wanted like to be the next gwyneth or something and fam kajensen who nobody knew for anything at that point but who was an upcoming actor she had been in a bond movie with with pierce Brosnan. she was in golden eye and so she had really kind of burst onto the scene and then you got martin landau because was sort of like miramax player and then john malkovich who'll just do stuff because he has nothing else to do I mean, that man, like, can be anything, anywhere, and he's in, like, three scenes, and he's always good, even in bad I
1: love John Malkovich, but, you know, before we get way ahead of ourselves, why don't you give us a plot
0: summary? I will do that. Okay, so, Matt Damon plays Mike McDermott, a genius poker player whose winnings have paid for his college and half a law school up to this point. He dreams of someday being a world champion of poker in Las Vegas, but still tries to balance a, quote, regular life with this? And when Mike gets wiped out by a Russian gangster named Teddy KGB, the aforementioned John Malkovich, running an underground poker game, he leaves it all behind, decides to get a job for a legitimate business run by his poker mentor, Kanish, John Turturro, and focuses on school and life with his future lawyer and girlfriend, Joe. And all things change, though, when his best friend Worm, played by a scene-stealing Edward Norton, gets out of jail and entices Mike to play cards for money once again. When Worm gets himself in deep debts with Ruthless Thug, and one in particular named Grandma, Mike agrees to start playing again to help his friend secure funds, especially when he finds out Worm did a lot of it on his name's credit. Joe leaves him, Mike blows off law school, even though he's caught the doting attention of law professor A. Petrovsky, and he tries to build up enough stakes for Worm and him to get out of the hole. When Mike and Worm get caught cheating at a bunch of uh, off-duty state troopers (laughs) games, bad idea, Uh, Worm splits town, leaving Mike holding the debt. Mike strikes out borrowing money from Kanish, who has repeatedly warned him to just play enough to live and not to dream so big. And That's when Mike tells him about the time he took down a major poker champion, Johnny Chan, just to see if he could do it, and he did it on a bluff. It was that hubris that led him to go so big after Teddy KGB earlier in the game when he lost all of his money. So Mike gets a $10,000 loan from A. Petrovsky, his professor, and enters into another game with the Russian. Mike wins back enough to clear his gangster debts and half the debt to the professor. Mike wins back enough to, Mike wins back enough money to clear his gangster debts and half the debt to the professor, but is goaded into playing another round with Teddy. And this time, Mike outplays the Russian, having earlier realized what his amazing tail with a set of Oreos is, and walks away having cleared all of Worm's gambling debts that had his name tacked to it, paid back Petrovsky, and is back where he started at the beginning of the movie, three stacks to high society, or $30,000 to the rest of us, and he heads off to the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas to see if his name's on that championship after all, finally chasing what he wants to do. And that's the plot summary for Rounders.
1: Uh, but it was, you know, I, I, there are some things in it that you watch uh, that Matt Damon does beautifully. And I and I, and now that we're kind of in the middle of this, we're not really in the middle of this, but I'm going to go straight to John Malkovich because I love him so much. We see the classic um, Matt Damon when we start the movie. Um, mm. And Gretchen... I don't know how she did it, but that woman laying in bed in the beginning of the movie looked like he had just left Marilyn Monroe to go play <laughs> poker. Now what man in their mind or their right mind, their wrong mind, whatever mind would leave her laying there, but he did um, to go play this poker game. But the first, you know, the first villain I'll call him that we see is John Malkovich and we just see his eyes. And from that moment on, I was like, up. Oh, I'm sold. It's John Malkovich. I'm done. Every, literally every movie he's ever done, I've for some reason fallen into a hole and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and watch it and actually pay attention. But he has such charisma on screen, even in the first 30 seconds we see him. It's great.
0: Yeah, if they had cast that with anyone else, it would not have worked. It would have come off as hammy and cheesy because what he does is totally hammy and cheesy. But because it's Malkovich and because he can just chameleon into roles like that, it really gives Damon somebody to play opposite of and everybody else too. But really it's him and Damon across from those poker tables. And I mean, let's, let's face it, Malkovich is in. Three scenes in this whole movie, but he's such a memorable piece of this because you can't forget the, the cheesy lines and the accent and the twisting of the Oreos and the way he splashes the pot with his chips <laughs> and he's just so over the top with everything and he, but he won't let it go. And you also realize this guy is a ruthless, ruthless poker player. And you also you want learn a
1: cookie. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. You know? Exactly. He, and
0: you learn he, too that he has mob ties everywhere. He's got his hands in so much stuff around town that he's central to this whole plot.
1: Yeah. No. 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 And he he really is. Right down to the point where, um, you know, Matt Damon, he is going to get his. He and his girlfriend Joe are still together after he loses all that money, and he goes to get his buddy Worm out of prison, and. He gets sucked right back in, and we realize over time how connected Teddy KGB is.
0: Oh, totally. And let me ask you this. The way Mike's got that cash stashed around the apartment there. I loved it. Oh, yeah. it was. Oh, he's got it in VHS boxes. He's got it behind a picture. It's, I mean, he's got it in a book on like, how to play poker. There's all these little your references and stuff, which so is fun
1: hold, to see. hold up. I'm not going to lie. When I worked as a cocktail waitress, I would roll my tips up and put an elastic band around it and put it in a shoebox under my bed. So I totally understood what he was doing because I did not want my mom to find it. I didn't want her to know I had $3,000 hidden under my bed. I mean, I did, but she didn't need to know it was there.
0: Right. But th- this sounds amazing. He's got 30 grand. Right. That he's won. And we find out mm-hmm. later in the movie, which is a great reveal when he does it with Kanish at the bathhouse, that he won most of that just at the Taj Mahal one weekend, just screwing around playing poker. He sees Johnny Chan walks in and he's like, screw it. I'm going against him. And he ends up, you know, raking six thousand dollars off the guy because he got him to bluff and, and fold when he had nothing. He had nothing right. in his hand. And it's like he knew he could sit at the table. That's why he goes to Teddy. And what I was going to ask you is like, do you think Joe has any idea how much cash he's actually got? Because obviously she knows he, he plays you know, for money. She's aware of it. And ultimately he makes, you know, I make promises. He made promises to give it up for her. But do you, do you ever think he tells her how much he actually lost?
1: I don't think he told her the total. Um, she, I don't. If there's this part of Joe that as much as she appreciates him and their partnership, relationship whatever it's called um she doesn't really recognize how smart he is because the guy Mm. is freaking brilliant um a to be hiding that money b he goes into this poker game with all these judges that he wants you know he wants to be able to work for them and he says i can tell you what cards you have and you know how you know how you should make your play and everything and um without missing a beat we realize how brilliant this kid is. He's not just coming in some lowlife off the street who's been trying to hustle to get by. He gets the game. He's brilliant.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing he'll tell you later. It's not about how he counts cards and all that stuff. He knows how to read people. And that's the thing. Like, you could in a world twist your head around and go like Mike McDermott is like Will Hunting's cousin that he doesn't talk about from New York City and 100%. and he also has this other cousin named Tom Ripley who's a serial killer in Europe and I mean like they're all the same person they really are and they all <laughs> no, have that same are. trait because Matt Damon is an intelligent guy I mean he really is and so people figured that out early on they started putting him in intelligent roles I like every role he's ever been in he's never played like a complete dummy which is why it's so funny when the South Park guys did Team America and they have the Matt damon doll and all it can do is go matt damon you know because they're making fun of how smarty you know gets to play and all that but he is smart but he also plays it with this total boyish charm and that's the thing that i really appreciated about this movie it was like you're, and i think it's why this movie's hard to remember and kind of lock into because on its surface we're supposed to root for mike right but Mike, the only difference between Mike and Worm is that Mike is smart enough to know when to walk away sometimes, to use a little Kenny Rogers line, too soon. No, not too soon. No, it's
1: not too soon. Amen. Kenny, we love you. We miss you. Indeed.
0: Um, We always will miss you, Kenny. But he knows when to walk away. He knows how to play it smart, where Worm is more of a hustler. He's, he's, you know, getting it done. And, and, but Mike is just as much of a scumbag (laughs) as anybody else is in this movie.
1: whether I'm going to go that far because there's something very endearing about Matt Damon and and in this character specifically, because we do have the scene where he's in there with the police officer, with the, pardon me, with the state troopers. He's in the state trooper game and he's winning. He's 4,200 up. He's good. He's in the clear. And Worm walks in and Worm starts handing him cards. And what does he do? He sits there. He doesn't play anything. He doesn't even, he knows what Worm is doing. He knows Worm is feeding him cards. And he's just going to sit there and let it ride and not even pay attention to it. Because we get this moment with Edward Norton where he gets pissed where Worm gets pissed because he realizes that Mike isn't taking the bait. He's not going to cheat on this game because he's good enough that he doesn't have to. And that pisses Worm off because Worm's the guy who comes in and does the hustle. But Mike's got the talent.
0: Yeah, can we talk about Worm? Because we now we've we brought him up. Please, bring Love, it on. I, look, I may be the only person on earth that will say this. I love watching Edward Norton do his thing. I know he's a pain to I work with. I do too. And all this, but the guy's right. That's the thing that nobody wants to admit is that Edward Norton is actually right about all the stuff he wants to change in the movies he's in. He makes them better. Isn't he a
1: director now? Doesn't I that think make he sense? does some of that now. Yeah, he finally <laughs> yeah, just you said, must be a director it. and a producer because that's <laughs> the mentality that would be good for that. Like, I see this. I want it this way. Done. Well, he's but- not all
0: that different than Malkovich. He can control a room with his face and with just the slightest little twinge of his language. And that's the thing about Worm is he is a total scumbag and hustler. And he doesn't care if you know that. He came from <laughs> nothing. He's going to be nothing. He don't care. He's hustling guys for cigarettes. He's making sure, you know, the, the white Aryan guys get their payoffs in prison while the black guys get their payoffs and while the guards get theirs. So he doesn't have any trouble. The guy's a hustler. And there's one thing that is true. And coach JB has taught us this. Hustlers survive, and that guy survives.
1: Well, here's the one thing that's lovely about Mike being surrounded by Knish and by Worm, is they're two different people. And we find that when Mike goes to ask Knish for money, he goes to ask him for 15,000 so that he can kind of get rid of all the money that's, you know, pay off the debt and make everything okay. And Knish looks at him and he goes, I don't play to win. I play for money, I've got alimony, I've got child support, I've got all this other stuff to pay, and you see the you see the light bulb go on in Mike's head of, damn it, I've been doing this wrong because he's been following Worm, whose whole goal is to play to win, he wants to play to get ahead. For him, it's not about, you know, getting somewhere in life like it is for Kanish, you know, they talk about Kanish's character, and by the way, I love the fact that, who is that, John Turturro?
0: That's John Turturro
1: straight face the entire movie i don't know how many takes they had to do that with but the man is stone solid the entire time uh and it's beautiful because that character needs to be because worm is it's like we have the angel and the devil on mike's shoulders of who's how is mike going to do it? Is he going to go with worm is he going to listen to knish you know we don't know where he's going to go
0: well, and that's the thing about Ken Ish, and particularly Turturro, he's another one of those just ice-cold character actors. You can put him in anything, and he can make it work. And, I, I mean, he, I've seen him in, like, bad Transformers movies, and he's still good. You know, I mean, he just makes it work. But I, what he talks about is, I just play it, you know, get enough by. But what you also know is that that is bullshit, because he's got businesses, he's got real estate and all that stuff. What he doesn't play for is glory. And that's the thing that Mike really wants. And and that's the conversation that, like, Abe Petrovsky, Martin Landau, great scenes, by the way. Talk about another great actor. Oh,
1: he was you, fabulous, yeah. you got
0: him and you've got Kanish telling him, you got to be true to what you are. And Kanish is telling him, like, if you keep chasing the dream, it's going to bite you, it's going to burn you, and you got to get away from people like Worm, it's going to be bad for you. So Knish and, and Joe are actually on the same side. Joe's just kind of colder, too. We'll get to her in a minute. And then you've got Petrovsky. And worm, who are more the emotional reaction side. Petrovsky tells him that great story in the bar about how he was raised to be, you know, an Orthodox Jew. He's going to be a rabbi and he, you know, he read the Torah and he couldn't find God in it. You know, he read the Talmud. I couldn't find God in it and he had to leave and his parents, his father wouldn't speak to him for the rest of his life. And this man's in his seventies at this point. Father didn't speak to him for another 60 years, sent him to New York to live with distant cousins. And he finally found his way in the law, you know, but he didn't find it in the family biz. So he understands like the idea of shame and having to do what you've got to do. And I think the, the great point is when Damon says to him or McDermott says, hey, if you had to do it all over again, would you make that same choice? And he looks at him, and he says, what choice? In other words, like you gotta do what you are. Now Worm is the complete id of that. It's like, dude, it's one hustle to the next, and we just we're gonna go hand to mouth. We're gonna make it work. The guy's got nine hundred dollars cash to him, nowhere to live. He's hanging out in the old high school gym, and he doesn't look like he's worried about it at all. And that's the cool thing about the Edward Norton character is there is no way on earth you want anybody to emulate that guy. Right, You do not want to hold that guy up in esteem. But you have to give a little credit for like, but the guy lives. Again, hustlers survive.
1: Right, so, he, you know, we... T- we talk about hustlers surviving and that we have this great um, symbolism with him hiding out in the high school gymnasium. And we, we've got to go back to kind of to where worm and McDermott met, which is back at prep school. And the, the reason was it Mike that was there because his dad was a custodian.
0: Yep. His dad so was the janitor it's yeah.
1: by chance, which leads me to wonder, did he actually did, did worm actually grow up a little bit of a privileged little shit or not?
0: No, what? no, his, his dad was the was the drunken groundskeeper. That's what you ah, found out. Okay,
1: all right. So, you know, every once in a while I miss those little details. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with that. So, you know, we have these two guys hustling in prep school, which is where they learn to play this game. So where does Worm go back to when he finally gets out of prison? He goes back to the place where he was comfortable, which is, you know, the school gym where they met each other. And then we get this back and forth with the basketball. So, the, you know, there's a little homage there to that, childlike aspect of worm that is still present because he never grew up and Mm. we realize there that mike has done a lot of growing and while he still mans the damn game um you know he's he's got the upper hand on worm which is i think why we see through the rest of the film that mike is the guy playing the game and worms the guy who has to play the hustle
0: exactly they even talk about that's why they set that up that's a great bit on the basketball too and i hadn't thought about it till you just mentioned it but when mike is telling us about him and about worm when he's going to pick him up for prison is that they used to run a basketball hustle they like Mm -hmm. paid off the players to try to (laughs) you know beat another team or dump team i'm like in high school sure right you know and it's it's just funny to hear him talk about and but he's He talks about how when everybody got caught and the, you know, the big point guard in the team, whatever, flipped on everybody, they called Worm in there and he didn't say nothing to nobody. And he said, there's not a lot of people that would do that for you. And that's why he's still loyal to him. And that's what, you know, Joe doesn't get and nobody really gets. Like, why are you still loyal to this guy when he has screwed you so many times? Of that one time he didn't, and but he keeps getting you in hot water, and you keep finding a way to get him out of it. But I mean, that's a that's a common relationship trope we see in a lot of films, particularly like buddy films, right? That's sort yeah. of something that always goes. Yeah, I mean, so, Riggs always got Murtaugh and stuff that he was too old for in the *Lethal <laughs> Weapon* sequels.
1: Right. So you know, we got to talk about buddies here, though, because we've got Grandma who um is who Worm owes what fifteen thousand to, right?
0: Yeah, he owed like ten, two, and then Grandma, because he got backed by Teddy KGB. We find this out at the end, but it's important just to lay it out now. He's out on his own as his own like gangland pimp kind of guy. He's obviously a pimp, and he collected. Oh, yes. he's he, he,
1: obviously a pimp.
0: <laughs> yeah, he collected all of. Worm's debts and consolidated them and then started charging interest on all of them. So in other words, he paid off everybody that Worm owed. Now he holds it. So it's like a bank buying up all like bad assets. Mm -hmm. We've seen Wall Street happen in the the thug market here. And he, now he's going to go and he's going to shake Worm down for it. And really what he's trying to do is he's trying to get in good with Teddy because Teddy knows something. Teddy knows Mike's good enough to beat him. Now he didn't beat him. But he knows he's good enough, and that's a threat. And also, we can't have people like that out there. And I also think Teddy is trying to get at Kanish, and Kanish will not take the bait. So if I go after his boy, maybe I can get him. That's kind of what I'm thinking. What do you think?
1: Now, I, I, I think some of that is it. I think some of it is uh, Grandma trying to get the upper hand and just prove to Teddy KGB that he's worth being linked with. Um, because if Grandma can take out this guy that owes him all this money and then take down Mike, who is the super talented poker player, then, you know, he's kind of got all the cards in his hands. But I, I love the acting with Grandma, especially when we kind of get to the end of this movie, because, you know... We get to we get to the height of the movie where Mike goes in and plays Teddy KGB again, and Grandma of all people is is the the straight man in the room going What the hell just happens as Mike comes through with that win and it's 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 fabulous. I I, I love every actor that has been put in these parts, specifically that you know the great character parts of uh, John Malkovich and. Um, Edward Norton, I love watching both of them on film. They both play characters that are typically not likable. I mean, even in being John Malkovich, John Malkovich wasn't that likable, but you know. Um, <laughs> but but they, there was a really great balance here. But with Grandma, I, I think Grandma's just always trying to get one step up, and I wish everybody could see me with my hand gestures here as I sit here and go one step. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it's fun to watch, and especially how he goes about doing it and ultimately fails.
0: Well, And the thing you can say about Grandma, though, I mean, he's a total lowlife and he's a thug. But when it when it finally goes down at the end and Teddy's like, no, he beat me fair and square, pay the man his money, and he leaves, Grandma's like, all right, then. and Because he, he honors the street justice, right? Because oh he knows if he doesn't, like 100 people are going to shoot him tomorrow.
1: But that moment is beautiful. They have John Malkovich go through this fit. He's throwing tables, he's throwing cards, he's throwing chips. And then he looks back and he says... Well, pardon me, he th- tosses his cookies.
0: <laughs> literally. He throws, because he literally
1: yeah. takes his tray of cookies that are in a yes. chip tray and throws them at the wall. Which is great, great symbolism. Not symbology. Let's not go back to Boondock Saints. But it's great symbolism. And um, it, when he turns around and has that dramatic moment where he takes breath and he realizes, wait, I have to... A, be respectable, otherwise people aren't going to come here and play me. Um, B, shit, I have to honor this because this little a-hole beat me fair and square. Um, And then says, nope, he won. And I want him to turn around and say, you want the cookie? And let him part. But he doesn't, and it's fine, (laughs) and it's fine, I'll let it go. But, oh, I love John Malkovich.
0: Well, no, but it's good, and that's why it makes the grandma character... At least somewhat watchable, because otherwise you're like, man, they got to get out from under this guy. He's bad news. I mean, he is, and he beats the crap out of out of Edward Norton a couple times in it, but and maybe not, you know, undeservedly. But it's what he does. But at least he honors it at the end, because it, that's his boss telling him you got to let him go.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what? I I, I gotta say, Edward Norton always looks better after he's had the crap beat out of it in, out of him in movies. I don't know what it is about him having blood all over his face, but it's yeah. a good look for him. He shouldn't stop.
0: I mean, yeah, it's always something he does. I don't know whether they figured that out about him. But I want to ask you about something that's more of like a, an overall plot device here that they use throughout the movie is that the voice of Matt Damon as the narrator, that's not mm-hmm. the first time they've done that. That happens in a lot of movies with Matt Damon because, I mean, he does have like the audio book made voice. I mean, he really he does. and. It's- it- it's interesting and I like that as a, as a narrative device. What I would ask you is does it work the whole time? Because usually you get that like in an intro scene and maybe at the end, but it really carries you throughout the movie when there's not a lot of dialogue.
1: So funny thing, I love having a narrator. Um, As you know, I've done a ton of theater. I love to do reader's theater, which is literally where you have actors just sitting on the stage reading from a script. And the type of director I am, I will go in and write a narrator using the stage directions that are there to give a little bit more. Um, I think that it gives a little bit more instead of just having some sort of silent walking scene, being able to have the dialogue so that what the author's, intention is is properly conveyed to the audience because i think there's a lot left to interpretation both in cinema and on stage um in books i mean books leave a little bit more to the imagination but specifically with cinema and live theater there's having the narrator helps convey the proper image whether it's the director's choice or whether it's the writer's choice Um, it it makes it a little bit more solid I enjoy listening to Matt Damon I love his voice it might have something to do with the fact that I'm from Vermont and I just really enjoy hearing him talk I'm not sure but I, I never get tired of listening to him talk and I have the same reaction to his buddy Ben Affleck even though I don't like him in Batman another conversation for another day but um You know, I I feel the same way about his voice. I enjoy listening to him. Um, It's not too high. It's not too low. It's just kind of like bucket baritone, as I would like to call it.
0: Yeah, it's right there. And the thing about the, the narration in this that I appreciate is... He's not telling the audience things they don't need to know. I mean, this movie, and this is one of the things like the poker community loves about this movie, is it just drops you in, and you're going to have to figure this out as you go along. And he's telling you enough to allow you to kind of follow what's going on at the tables and what's happening in life, but it's not too much that it overpowers everything that's happening. He's not reading the movie, audio book the movie. You know, I, I didn't you know, come there oh. to listen to that. And that's what I appreciated about it, and it, it makes it... I, it makes him a little more endearing, even though I do go back to my initial premise that he is a psycho and a scumbag.
1: <laughs> I'm, he's not just a gonna agree. One. I'm not going to agree with you on any of that. We can discuss <laughs> that off. I want to touch base on um, Martin Lando's performance in this again, because I don't think we really got into how adorable he is. And he's like the super innocent guy that's there, even though he's the older guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, There's always the older guy that has some sort of hope. For the younger guy who who's coming up in that field, and the other guys at the table during the entire judge poker scene, um, and I have another point to get to besides the judge poker scene, but um, the other guys they they have that kind of scumbag feel, and I think unfortunately it's the it's the. Uh, the lawyer, uh, stigma that's there is that lawyers are scumbags, which is not true. You and I probably both know multiple lawyers that are fabulous people. But mm-hmm. um, these, these judges, you know, they're, they're the haughty judges. Hey, I've got money to toss around. Hey, I, don't you know who I am type of guys? But Abe is just this down to earth type of guy. Um, almost a father figure to Mike, which is great. Uh, how did you feel about that?
0: I, I liked it. I loved the the whole Martin Landau character because it's that wise old sage that kinda takes care of the young one. I mean it's Ben Kenobi and Luke Skywalker again. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's that it's that trope. But I like the way their relationship played. He doesn't totally give in to him. He gives him good advice. And when Mike comes to him at the end with an earnest plea, he's like, I don't have that kind of money, but I could give you ten. And Mike's face is like, you you would do that? You'd give me that much money? He's like, yeah.
1: And Matt Damon has tears in his eyes yeah. when he realizes what this guy's doing. And we got to give the guy credit, even though you know Matt Damon was in the midst of this. Hey, you're gonna be a you know you're gonna be a superstar. The guy can actually act, and there aren't many of the the actors that went through that in the '90s that can actually follow through with it. Renee is one of them. Um <laughs>
0: See previous episodes that feature ah, Irina. <laughs> see,
1: see previous episodes about Renee Ah, But, um, yeah, no, no, no. It, it it was great to see that change in not, not just the acting ability, but Mike's character. Because we see emotion. Because when Joe, and, you know, we, we got to remember, Joe leaves him. She doesn't say a word to him. She just packs up her stuff and leaves. And he uh, he sees her, you know, on the street to just say, hey, Basically, I wanted to let you know I'm okay. There's no tears between the two of them. There's no love lost. We see that there's still this friendship, but a realization that, hey, we got to part ways, which is beautiful. But, you know, the, the being able to see that emotion with one person for Mike gives him a little bit more endearing quality. So he's not a complete douchebag like you think he is.
0: Well, let me let me throw this on you real quick. Cause I want to talk about Joe, and I want to talk about Petra, the Fomkijenski characters. They're the only two remotely prominent female characters in this whole movie. And neither of them really get a ton to do. Um, and I want to talk about both of them. Joe, in particular... I get what that character is supposed to be. And I've heard the screenwriters talk about that was actually two characters that got pushed into one because Miramax wanted Gretchen Maul to be a thing. So they made them take another character out that was like the guy that's part of like his little law group that he keeps blowing off for the mock trial. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be like his best friend in law school who was like the exact opposite of worm. And you're going to get more of that. So they gave those lines to Kanish and a lot of that stuff to Joe so that you got the sense that not only he and Joe were dating, but that they were friends too, in some on some level. It, the problem for me in this, and I'm not trying to be sexist, so I need you to check me and tell me if I if I'm being so. Gretchen Mall is terrible. Let me te- check you. Let me Gretchen, check you. Gretchen, Gretchen Mall is terrible. She is horrible. She has no emotion. She has such blank responses to everything in it, and it's a real shame because it's not John Dahl, the director. Everybody else is given a bang up performance and it's put together. Am I missing something with her because she is so
1: boring? There are some actors who you can direct the fuck out of. There are some actors that you put out there and you think, oh, good. They read it well in auditions. Let's go ahead and cast them. And they don't grow. She had no growth. There was no growth of character. There was nothing. And it sucked. It sucked the life out of me. Every time she came on screen, I was like. Yeah,
0: she's boring.
1: she was boring. So that is not a sexist comment. That is a character like diagnostic there. No, there was no life there. Her battery was running on like 10% through the whole movie and never spiked past 15.
0: Famke Jensen is a friggin' goddess in all things and is wonderful oh, yeah. in this movie. And I love the little hints of the story that you have that her and Mike, We've had a few, you know, moments together, and she comes over to got to collect a little bit of the debt. And okay, you know, he makes that good, and she's like, but you know, I'm not just here for that. Like, you know, if you're lonely, we can, you know, hang around, have a little fun. And he he pushes her off, and I'm sitting there going, I'm like, man, Mike is a man with strong will, because I'm sorry, Vape Jensen is a stone cold fox.
1: I'd take her home. I'm just saying. I'm just saying <laughs> like there there is the end of that you are not being sexist at all. I am a female saying, "Oh my god, how did he not do that?"
0: Right. But she's also so much fun to watch. Fam Kajits is another one of those actors that if you give her too much to do, I don't know that she can totally carry a movie by herself necessarily. But if you put her next to other things and when she's particularly working in Teddy KGB's, you know, underground poker layer is like the head of all the, the chips and she's the cashier and all that kind of stuff. And she's also better the enforcer. She's, she's a good poker player. She's smart. She knows the game, and she's fun to be around. She is the exact opposite of Joe, who's the very buttoned up, very serious, get down and be a you know normal human being girlfriend person. And then you have the wild and crazy girlfriend. And somewhere in between, Mike is like can't do either, but thanks.
1: She is fabulous in the things that she is cast in. Um, I I don't think she could carry a movie. Um, we've seen her in X Men. Which she is fabulous in. Um, I could not imagine anybody else playing that part. But if you go back and look, it's not much different than the part she plays in this movie. It's pretty much typecasting. So, you know, thank God she is beautiful. um, But she's always going to have that sex appeal to her.
0: Yeah, she is. And I mean, that's really all the women in this story are about. They're really on the periphery of all of this stuff. And I got to tell you, though, there is something about Joe that Mike completely trusts because he he has that 10 grand back to her to give back to Petrovsky the morning after he wins it all back from Teddy K- KGB. And he's like, you can do that for me, right? Like he trusts her to do that. And I mean, for like two seconds, she looks at that like Marion Crane in Psycho, like, or I could just leave town.
1: But I think that what what that scene holds more for us is a confession. is his his acknowledgement of, hey, I've screwed up, but look at me, I'm giving this back. Which, if you're not looking for that depth of character, then you might not see it because she isn't great in the part. Um, It's not well written, but that moment I think is more about him saying to her, hey, you know, I know we broke up. I'm okay. Look at what I'm doing And this is my apology.
0: Yeah, I'm going to make it right. I'm doing the right thing on my way out of town.
1: Exactly. And I think that's important for the entire movie, for us to have the start and the end of the Mike story. Here, he starts out losing all this money. Then, not only does he make it back, but he pays back his debts. He makes it right. And, And as you said before, ends up where he started. Super important little things.
0: Yeah, right back where he started and on the path he should have been following all along and that's what we we learn and i mean we talked about that great conversation he has with Kanish at the bathhouse which is a great scene with john Taturo. and i love i love how Taturo is like chiding him and talking like i told you you shouldn't do this and i'd be throwing that money away if i gave you two grand there's no way i'm gonna do that right now and then mike reels him back in with like that take about the time i beat johnny chan he's like what it was beautiful Yeah. And what a, what a great thing. And also great cameo by the actual poker champion, Johnny Chan. And we (laughs) see Mike watching like VHS tapes of earlier, but I I love that whole story and how it plays out. And I love the way Damon ends that story. He's like, did you have it? And he's like, I don't know. I can't remember, which is what every good poker player will tell you. If you fold, you didn't pay to see my cards. You don't don't get to know. And I love, I love the terminology here and everything. And again, like master poker players say, that's what's so cool about this is that it it taught that lingo to the world. before you know, ESPN started running World Series of Poker instead of the NHL because the strike was on, and everybody got obsessed with it in the two thousands. <laughs> they were they were running it since the eighties, but that's when everybody became you know that became a thing. Right on the precipice of it was this movie, and I love how he's like, "No, I had rags, I had nothing." I had nothing in my hand, but I knew I could sit at that table, and I knew I could bluff the guy because he was just trying to throw money at me to see if I would leave the table. And I was like, no, I'm going to call this bluff, see what happens, because if I lose, so what? I've got money in my pocket. I don't care. And that's the thing that, that's neat about Mike is for Kanish, it's about paying the rent. It's about keeping up the alimony. It's all that stuff, right? It's It's keeping his life together. For Worm, it's all about the action. He doesn't care about actually having anything. It's all about the juice of getting there. For Mike, it's about winning and knowing that I belonged at the table. And he says that. And it's so emphatic. And it's like, now I get why he went so hard at Teddy KGB and he screwed up and he lost. And that's why you know he's going to go back at him again. Not just to pay the debts off, because that's just sort of the inciting incident of why he has to do it. Mike would scramble this money together and go and play Teddy again because he knows he can beat him.
1: Well, so one of the things that um, I, I, I love looking at um, the character descriptions that we come up with when we do our episodes like this, because one of the first things in our character description is honest player. One mm. of the things about Mike through the entire movie is his honesty. Even, you know, there's, we have one moment of doubt where Joe looks at him and says, even when you messed up, you told me. So when he goes back into the game, he's trying to cover it up, trying to cover it up. And then he finally is honest. But that's the only moment of dishonesty we have with him. He wants to get to that table, not just, you know, to because he thinks he's good enough, but because he's doing it the right way. Um, and And... I think that that's the take home and the beautiful story with all this is that he beat Teddy KGB. Honestly, he didn't go in there with any tricks like Worm did and and
0: it was beautiful. Yeah, exactly. He beat him straight up, and that's what Teddy KGB gets so pissed off about. He's like, you sit there all day and you check, 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 and, that, that, that. and he's just throwing all that stuff at him. And we should say, like, we should explain the tell is that Teddy KGB will play with his Oreos and does what everybody else does with Oreos. He twists them apart and looks at the, you know, this creamy center, and if he eats it. He likes his hand. If he puts the cookie back in his little chip counter, he doesn't have confidence in his hand. And when Mike figures that out, he doesn't say anything. He even folds on the hand. And he just keeps it in his back pocket till he gets him back in that situation again. And he's able to beat him with it. And that's what Teddy realizes is like, you figured me out. You beat me straight up.
1: And that's when he tosses his cookies across the room. Yes, pay your money. I love it when you and I do a movie like this because you, you've you heard me talk about my husband a million times. Um, your wife watches these movies with you. My husband was sitting there like chewing on his nails, like really into watching this movie. And... These were things that I I missed, and he'd go, no, 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 go back. Let's look at that tell. This is what's going on. I was like, yeah, you're right. That's cool. I still know nothing about poker, but I started learning a little bit because of the narrative we've been talking about here, too. So um, overall, I I thank you for uh, suggesting that I watch this movie.
0: (laughs) It's been a lot of fun. We're not there yet, though, because I want to talk about something here that I think is a neat dichotomy. Go with it. Worm is hiding from his troubles. I mean, that's that whole bit in the gym scene. Is yep. He is hiding from his troubles. Mike calls him out for it. But Mike runs from his. He runs from his biggest trouble, which is just being honest with who he is and what he really wants. And when he finally comes to grips, he he's basically forced to come to grips with, I got to play because we. I got to win. We got to get out of this. But I got to let these people know that... I'm not a ruthless person. I'm not a cheat. I'm not a hustler. I can beat you straight up because I'm smarter than you. Because I work harder at this. Because I'm better at the grind. And I thought that was an interesting dichotomy, particularly after they get their crap beat out on by the state troopers. Which, how they got out of that alive, I'll never know. But I have all, no they're,
1: clue. They're on the floor, like curled <laughs> up, being kicked and like yeah. punched by like twenty five guys, and it's just the two of them.
0: Yeah, they are beat to a pulp by the end of that. But I love at the end that like, Worm's like, no, seriously, dude, it is highway tame. I got to go. And Mike's like, no, I- I'm going back. And I wanted to ask you, so what did you make of the dichotomy of the fact that Worm hides from his troubles and Mike kind of runs from his destiny?
1: Um, because Mike wants to be an honest guy and he doesn't view poker playing as being an honest living. Well, you know, other people might, obviously there are people who are famous for being good at poker. Um, you know, in Mike's mind, that is not an honest living. So I think that's where we find, we find that change, um, or that dissonance between the two of them. It it, worm just wants to get ahead and and scrape by to stay alive. You know, we've got staying alive, staying alive here. And then we've got, you know, somebody is singing, I'm still standing. So, um, but I, but I really think that Mike's big thing is that he, he wants that honesty. He's an honest guy. That's why Matt Damon is so perfect in this part because he just looks like the classic American guy.
0: I think Mike thinks poker playing is an honest way to make a living the way he does it. What I think we're seeing him react to is that Joe and everybody else in his life outside of worm and maybe, and even Kanish, in some way have tried to tell him, you ain't got to do it that way. You can do the respectable, normal nine to five, whatever. And I think what we're seeing here is, is a guy who is coming to terms with like, no, I'm not going to do the straight, you know, thing that everybody else does. I'm going to do it my own way. It's the kind of kid who says, you know what? I don't need college to do what I want to do. I'm going to drop out. I'm going to start my own business and 15 years later, Amazon.com is the thing that we all live by. You know, it's, hey. it's that it's that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's that kind of entrepreneurial spirit that Mike really has that he is desperately trying to keep down because all these people are telling him. And I think what sends him over the edge on it is when Petrovsky lays that story on him and it finally clicks in his head that, like, there is no choice, Mike. You have to do what you have to do. Even though it cost me my family, I couldn't be a fake rabbi. I had to go and find what was me, which was the law. And, I mean, it sounds hilarious when you say it like that, but it's such a heart-wrenching story the way uh, Landau lays it out. And you see that resonate with Mike in such a way. And then when he gets the money from him, he's like, I mean, he tells him, he's like, look, I I got sent here because it was the last thing my folks could do for me, my mother could do for me. And it was one of those kind of pay it forward. If I ever got the chance and I saw that in somebody else, I, I have to do this. I'm compelled to do this for you, even though this is the dumbest thing I could do is hand you $10,000 right now. I'm going to do it because it's the thing that got me where I am too. So it's, it's a neat circle there. That's, that's what I think Damon's doing.
1: Yeah. No, it is a great circle. And then all of a sudden we have me and my mind and my musical theater mind going to Hamilton's not throwing away my shot. And there we've got it. He's got it. That one chance, you know, to make, and it, There are so many songs that are written that way. (laughs) Not just Hamilton, but I'm pretty sure Eminem does a song like that. So, you know, it's the guy trying to say, you know, I can either settle for what I've got or I can push myself for what I love. And yeah, I I mean, I love it. I'm sorry. (laughs) i got nothing else for
0: you. (laughs) it's It's a neat thing, though. It's a neat dichotomy. It's a neat way that it all plays out throughout the movie. And I wanted to ask you one last thing. What do you think happens to Worm?
1: I don't care. Is that bad? <laughs> I, I don't care. He probably ends up um, getting the shit kicked out of him, being somebody with a tin can on the side of the road, and I don't care because we leave him so quickly and without remorse that it's literally like the little devil on his shoulder and, poof, and was gone.
0: Well, let me give you what I think. And th- I thought this before I knew this little piece of, of knowledge i have got to drop on you. I Uh-oh. thought... Again, this guy, Hustler survive somewhere. He's going to still be making it done. He's never going to be too high, probably going to be a little bit low, but he's going to survive because hustlers survive uh, up to a point. But this guy's a survivor and it was written. They shot scenes. It just got cut and left on the, the floor. You actually see when Mike's getting ready to leave town, you, you hear him, hear somebody talk about this guy running a game in the Bronx where he got up $9,000 and split town. That was worm. He went, ran a couple games, got out of town, and then went and did it somewhere else. And so I'm like, yep, that's what should happen to Worm because Hustler survived.
1: So, this is the second episode I've recorded this week. This is the second time that one of you boys, Brian yesterday and you today, and you can keep this little trivia bit in our episode, <laughs> have surprised me with add on scenes that were cut from a movie that make me go, ah, do we really need it? Maybe we need, well, no, did we really? No, I don't think we needed it, which Mm -mm. it would have been, you know, yay. Isn't that nice to have that warm, fuzzy feeling? But at the same time, the guy's a dick. So no, no, you're you're exactly right.
0: They they cut it for time, for one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miramax was like, this got to be under two hours. But two, the director thought, and even Norton thought, It's better to leave it open-ended with this guy, because this is the kind of guy that he's named Worm, and they never explain why. Why? Because he can always get out of it.
1: Hold up. This was also the era of there's always a sequel or another side to the story. (laughs) So there was probably another side to the story that we kind of said, okay, we won't do it this time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's also true. They probably could have done a Worm off. I don't know if I'd have been down for that because I'm with you. I don't know that I want to follow that guy <laughs> everywhere. No, no, no. We're
1: Team McDermott. We're good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but I do think he's – I think it's neat, though, that both of these guys – They part ways, and part of me would think, like, you know, what would be neat? And because we're in the the land of let's all circle back and get the band back together 20 years later now. In cinema, what if we did rounders two and we we got worm and McDermott back in Vegas together again?
1: Please don't. Oh, the dog, you know, what that would have been the kicker if if they did do a second movie and they both made it to Vegas and they were at the table and worm tried to play him, wouldn't that have sucked?
0: Yeah, I would have, but Mike would have beat him anyway, because that's how these movies go. Well, I think we're at the part of the podcast arena where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Rounders?
1: You know what? I, I'd watch it again. I I want to watch it again in the same way I watch Maverick more than once, um, and in the same way I watch Pool Hall Junkies once a year, because this is like <laughs> the poker version of Pool Hall Junkies, which is great. So now I'm going to have to go watch Pool Hall Junkies. But – um. So, yeah, I would recommend watching it. It's a good movie. It's, you know, a get-together, have a couple of beers with your buddies kind of movie. Um, you can even sit down and watch it with your girlfriend or your wife. It's great. And um, as for popcorn, I'm going to give it a medium with cheese, because we know how stingy I am with my popcorn, and maybe a little bit of black pepper because it's got a little spice to it.
0: All right. got to tell you, I was surprised at <laughs> – how much I enjoyed revisiting this, but there's something about this movie. When you watch it, you kind of almost forget it. It like mission impossible, self-destruct from your memory. <laughs> and I don't know why it is with Maybe it's just me with this, but I've watched it three times now in my life. And I mean, if I hadn't had the notes that we have here to go by, I would have forgotten it because it's not the kind of thing that you hang on to, but as an experience of just doing it, It's pretty good. I mean, it's not the greatest restaurant you could go to. It's not a meal you're going to tell your friends about, but it's a pretty decent one. It wasn't half bad. And again, littered with great character actors, giving really good performances, and directed by a guy that knows how to do noir. John Dahl is a fantastic director and really can influence that. And I'm a big sucker for heist movies and all that kind of stuff anyway, so i put this one in the same category as stuff like Ocean's Eleven, which is infinitely more rewatchable than fun, but same kind of thing, or any of these other kind of thriller movies that were coming around it's not as like heavy as something like heat necessarily or a thief or but it's like more like collateral or something like that and I, I there's something about this movie that just makes me want to go back and give it another spin again so it's definitely like I think a good rewatch every year or two if you've got people that are really into like cards and poker and all that kind of stuff watch this one because it'll make you watch poker and other movies completely differently because the way these hands lay out is much more like a, the way a real poker table plays out people don't win with like Four aces against three kings and all that kind of stuff. They win with, you know, three, four, and fives. You know, they win with little stuff because they know how to play the odds. And that's what this movie does, is it, it? it's there for the long game. It didn't make a ton of money when it came out, but it's had a life. And it still has a life, and people still talk about it to this day. I definitely recommend it. I give it a medium popcorn, too, but on that good side. It's like that good matinee, good butter. It's fresh, so you're not getting yesterday's popcorn. You got the, you got the three or four o'clock matinee. You got the fresh popcorn. You got good stuff. I, I think it's a good medium popcorn and a lot of fun. And it certainly was a lot of fun talking about it with you.
1: So my last question for you is, now that we've kind of revisited this in your mind, how much do you want to go back and watch like Maverick
0: or The Sting? Well, The Sting, yes. I could watch all day. Or like The Color of Money, you know, something like that all day. I don't
1: know whether I've seen The Color of Money, but The Sting, there's something yeah. about the the Scott Joplin music in it and Robert Shaw and Robert Redford and Newman, everybody in it that is just yes. scrumdillumptious.
0: Yeah, it is very much a 70s updated movie for the 90s. That's what this is. It's, it's more around the stink. Movies like Maverick, like I would be annoyed with because everybody wins with like a flush house of aces over kings and all that kind of oh, stuff. Come
1: on. So. Okay. So putting all that aside, do you, how many poker movies do you want to go watch now? All of them?
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. But, but funny enough, like I recently rewatched Casino Royale, the James Bond movie, and that's all built around like Tix Hold'em and stuff. And I was sitting there going like, oh man, this is the movie where people don't understand anything about cards and they think the audience <laughs> doesn't either that's why james bond has to win with the most impossible hand ever you know and stuff like that against the most impossible hand to beat and when, it makes me appreciate the realism of this because the screenwriters spent like years talking to actual poker players kanish is based on like a real life guy who built oh, nice. a living just as a just as a poker player and he had legitimate businesses on the side he's a real dude and nice. that whole line in the movie about like Women are the rake in life, the thing that you know, takes all the money off the table. That's that guy's line, and they put it in the movie just for him. And I, I appreciated the realism of it, even though I'm not a poker player. I can't I can't give myself to bet anything. I'm just too scared of cat to do that kind of stuff. But I appreciate when the technical details like that work. Because I think that's the only way a movie like this that's 22 years old is even rewatchable at this point. Because there's, it's so dated. and It's got such a sheen on it from the time it was made that makes it so different. What makes it go back? The characters are, are interesting. The actors are, are giving great performances. And then the little details are minute and cool enough that if you go like, you know, I want to go look that up and you Google it or something, you're like, Oh, wow. That's how that really plays. It makes it more fun.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. This was this was a fun one. I I learned a couple poker terms here. Um, maybe not as many as I have sh- many as I should have, but like, you know.
0: I mean, you're not gonna little, go hit up you know the table next bit. week anyway, so you're good. Hey,
1: no, but my kids want to know if we can play house poker.
0: See, right? I don't,
1: I don't know. I don't know why my kids need to play poker, but maybe they're trying to like earn their way out of chores or homework because we're homeschooling now. Um, right. Which foreign, foreign, foreign enemy to me? But um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at least I've got something to learn with my kids. Well, yeah, I and mean, that's back funny. To
0: funny is when I say. This movie came out right on the precipice of when. Poker became this household thing for America because again, ESPN had been showing the World Series of Poker for years and stuff. The Hockey League went on strike one year and they had to figure out something to put on TV and they said, let's put cameras in the tables where we can see what the guys have on their hands. Let's put like wrestling announcers calling these these shows, which is basically what they hired to do it. And it became a thing. And then every Walmart aisle ha- had what you know, games of Texas Hold'em. My my wife's family get together big at Christmas, brother-in-law breaks out, it's like full chipset. We're all playing around the table with toothpicks and stuff, because why? It's part of the the American lexicon. It's fun to do, so... Uh
1: I had wondered why all of a sudden poker was a big deal, you know, years ago. Now I understand. I'm not sure that I agree with the choice. I wish I had been on the board for that decision being made, but I wasn't. So, you know, we got poker.
0: Yeah, it, there's, there's worse things they've pushed off on us in society for sure. But that's another podcast for another day, Irina. <laughs> Tell folks how they can follow you on the social media.
1: Um, so they can follow me on the social media, um, on Twitter at I Sing EYE or on Instagram at iNerd EYE dot n-e-r-d. And coming up soon, people who've heard Lindsay on our podcast before, uh she think people can listen to she and I on dissecting the Ingenue, which is a whole other ball game. And we'll have you on there too, Jay.
0: Very fun. Looking forward to that, as always. Thanks again for joining me, Irina. Folks, thanks for listening to this episode. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com, as well as everywhere else you can subscribe and download the show. Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, you name it, we're there. You can follow the show's social media, at Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and search for Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook, and we really hope you'll catch up with us. Let us know what you think of the shows. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Irina, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.